Well, good. We are going to be back in Hebrews. We go through books of the Bible, and currently we're going through the book of Hebrews. So we're going to be in Hebrews 6, starting in verse 13. So if you would, please grab your Bibles and stand as we honor God's Word. Again, listen to God's Word for God's people. In Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 13, the author continues, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater... Uh, by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is a final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, and he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we, ha- we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Verse 19, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Again, pray with me one more time. Lord, thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And today, Uh, we come to one of the greatest passages of assurance of salvation that we can have. And so, Lord, I pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And if there is someone in here who does not know you, that today would be the day that their eyes would be open to the good news of the gospel, the grace and the mercy that's found only in Christ as our high priest. Lord, and for us that have, that you have graciously saved us, Lord, that we would just again just be... Uh, just fall in love even that much more with you, understanding your desire to show us your love and the assurance that we have in your salvation, that you gave us your word, that what you promised that you will do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Guys, go ahead and have a seat. Well, all of us in here have probably once or twice in our life made a promise. Right? Who in here has promised something to someone? Go ahead and raise your hand. Right? All of us in here. And to make it even that much more steadfast, to make it even to undergird that promise, we probably added an oath to it. Right? Something along the lines of this. I swear on my grandmother's life. Right? Or I swear on my grandmother's grave. Or maybe this. You maybe even said this. I swear as God is my witness. Or God as my witness. Right? Who has said a couple of those things? Go ahead and raise your hand. Yeah, many of us have. And this all started probably way back when we were in elementary school. The idea of this swearing or adding an oath. I bet you again, all of us in here have said this. Cross my heart and what? Hope to die, stick an needle, needle, whatever that is. Needle. And I, right? Why? We wanted to undergird our promise. But how many of you were like me, kind of like a little shady in that promise where you said the promise and you said, cross my heart, but behind your back, you had your fingers crossed. And I don't know what that is, but that means you don't have to keep the promise apparently, right? Oh, good, good. Well, Again, we've learned this since an early age, and I would venture to say that now as adults, as we understand the, the, the severity of an oath or promise, um, that when we say that, we intend to keep it, 
We intend to keep it. We want our yes to be yes, and we want our no to be no. And even still today, um, because of the world we live in, and, and we are people that, that don't trust one another easily, we, we also undergird it with an oath, with a promise. And yet, I would probably venture to say that all of us in here are not perfect in keeping our promises. We have all failed at one point uh, in time. Even though it wasn't our intention, that has happened because uh, we don't control circumstances, do we? And sometimes we promise something, but then all of a sudden circumstances come up out of our control that changes the direction of the situation, and we are unable to keep our promises. Uh, How many of you in here have had promises made to you broken by people you love? Raise your hand. How many of you have broken promises to people that you love? Raise your hand. Yeah, we, we all have. We are all in this boat. Well, this morning we have the Lord making us a promise on the most important issue that deals with you and me, and that is our salvation. And the Lord has promised to fulfill this promise to us. And, and, and there's a massive difference between His promises and our promises. And we, and we know what that difference is. That difference is. The difference is when the Lord promises something, when He says He's going to do it, when He gives His Word, and we're going to see in Hebrews, and He undergirds it with an oath, we know without a shadow of a doubt that he is going, it is going to be accomplished 100%. Every single time. Exactly what was promised, He will deliver on. And that's good news for you and me this morning. In fact, that's the best news that we can possibly hear this morning. And then again, that's what we're going to look at in Hebrews chapter 6. That the, the absolute faithfulness of God and His Word to you and me. To come through on His promises. And He's been doing that since day one. We're going to see that he's, he, he promised something to Abraham and fulfilled it. He promised something to the nation of Israel and fulfilled it. He promised to the brothers and sisters here in Hebrews and He fulfilled it. And this morning He has made promises to you and me that we have felt the experience of that fulfillment as well. This idea of of God doing what He says He's going to do, it goes under the banner of His characteristic of immutability. That God is immutable. It means He does not change. What He says He's going to do, He's going to do when He can't go back and change His mind. Hebrews 13.8, we'll look at this later. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Therefore, whatever He has promised to you, to me, He will accomplish it. And nothing can thwart him. There are no circumstances that are going to rise up that are going to cause him the inability to procure that promise. He's going to do it. You see, here's the good news this morning. We live in a world that is full of bad news, don't we? We live in a broken world. A world with a ton of broken promises. And again, I was just thinking about this. This is just another reason why to come to church every single Sunday and, not, and, and go to life group and get into your journey groups and gather together under the Word of God. The reason why is because every Sunday you come here, no matter what kind of bad news is out there, we get good news every single Sunday. It's good news. It's the Gospel. We get Jesus and His Love, His mercy, His grace to us each and every morning. The world out there will promise you the stars, but it can't deliver you the stars. So why not come and and listen from God's Word to the One who created the stars and who can give you the stars? 
That's why we preach Jesus. That's why we preach the gospel. That's why we preach out of this word each and every Sunday. Because it is good news. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 6. And first we see the patience we need for the promise. The patience we need for the promise in Hebrews 6, 13 through 16. And last week, we studied probably one of the, the, the most difficult passages in all the New Testament. And Rich just did a phenomenal job knocking it out. He just did a great job on this passage, just this warning passage. Uh, probably one of the best jobs I've heard anyone teach on it. Rich just knocked it out of the park. And, and again, if you met, weren't here last week, the, the portion of Scripture talked about, is it possible for the Christian to lose their salvation in a general sense? And the, again, the bottom line is no. The bottom line is no. If you have genuine saving faith in Jesus, you cannot lose your salvation. Your salvation is secure. Your salvation is assured, not on what you have done, but what Jesus has done for you. I love how one commentator put it like this. He said this, since our salvation was not gained by our moral perfection, we, we didn't earn our salvation on our perfect obedience, our moral perfection. Therefore, it cannot be lost by our moral imperfection or our disobedience. Isn't that good? Our salvation is not gained by our moral perfection. Therefore, it cannot be lost by our moral imperfections. We are secure because we believe in Jesus and what He has done for us. His perfect life lived in your place and my place. His death on the cross that made payment for your sin and my sin and His resurrection. That's what secures us. That is good news. And so, again, last week we looked at Hebrews 6, 1-13. through Again, about this great warning passage. And today we get God, the author of Hebrews, saying, now let me give you great assurance. Let me, let me write to you some of the most significant portions uh, verses on the assurance of our salvation. But here's the thing, many of us don't, when we think of assurance of a salvation, we don't go to Hebrews chapter 6, 13 through 20. But today, after you walk out these doors, hopefully you will. You will. Hebrews 6, 13, the author points us now to Abraham as an example of saving faith and the patience again needed to inherit and obtain the promise of salvation. Look at Hebrews 6, 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, and he quotes Genesis twenty-two seventeen, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. Verse 15, And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. You see, throughout Scripture, we have a number of different examples of individuals who have walked through incredibly difficult times. In times that they were walking through, they were waiting for the promise of the Lord. They were waiting for deliverance. They were waiting for redemption. They were waiting for salvation. We can think of Joseph and the life that he had. What a roller coaster life. We can think of Daniel. Think, of, think about this at Daniel. You don't, we don't realize this, but Daniel was captive when he was a teenager and spent the next 70 years in captivity. Basically, his whole life, he was waiting for the promise. And then you have Jesus' mother Mary. She had to walk through some difficult times waiting for the promises of the Lord. But if we're to think of anyone else in the Bible, Abraham is a great illustration or a great example for us on waiting patiently for the Lord. 
Now, a couple years ago, we, we went through and taught through Genesis. So let me quickly remind you of the patience that Abraham had to have. Abraham uh, had to have hope against all hope. We, we begin his story in Genesis chapter 12. You guys remember Genesis chapter 12. Abraham's a pagan. He's a non-believer in a foreign land. He's an enemy of God and God calls him out of the land of Ur. He calls him out and he says, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. And he rips off all these blessings. And one of those blessings is that he's going to make Abraham a great nation. I'm going to say Abraham, even though his name was Abram at that time. He's going to make him a great nation. Now, here's the ironic thing. At that point in time, he was married to his wife, Sarah, Abram. He had no kids. They were barren. In fact, the Bible, the author Moses points this out in Genesis 11.30. He says, Abraham's wife, Sarai, was barren and had no child. It's a double negative to really emphasize like, how incredible this promise is about God going to bless him and make him a great nation. And when you think nation there, think people group. This is one of the promises. His name, Abram, was father or daddy. But again, he had no children at this point. And not only did he have no children, but the other thing that was against him was a, another whammy is that Abram was 75 years old. Him and his wife were 75 years old. They were past beyond child-producing years. So here comes God, calls this pagan out, and he says, I'm going to bless you and make you a great nation, even though right now it seems like it's against all odds. Like the reader, if you were reading this story for the first time, you'd be like, let me know how that works out. Because here's a guy with no children, he's 75 years. It ain't going to happen, Captain, right? It's not going to happen. It's a double whammy. But God promised it to him. And Abraham believed. Abraham believed. He believed the Lord. And he went out. In Genesis 17, it says it was reckoned to him as righteousness, his faith. So again, even though it seemed like a double whammy, God promised him, I'm going to make you a great nation. And Abraham believed. How would have you responded in that situation? How would have you responded in that situation? Well, the story goes on some 11 years go by and still no children. Abraham is now 86 years old, him and his wife. And now we're in Genesis 16. And all of a sudden, even though they're, they're an example of patience, they're not an example of perfect patience because imperfect, uh, impatience kind of creeps up into them. They've waited 11 years and still no child. So they come up with this very bad plan to let Abraham sleep with Sarah's uh, servant and Hagar. Uh, she gets pregnant and then gives birth to Ishmael, but God says that's not the child. Uh, you guys kind of operate in sin and your impatience, trying to speed up my timeline, trying to make my promises happen. You don't have to do that. I will make my promises happen. And then we go to Genesis 17 right after the birth of Ishmael, and God just shows grace upon Abraham. And he says he promised him this child, Isaac. And then we see Isaac comes on the scene in Genesis chapter 21. Isaac is born. Sarah and Abraham have Isaac, the, the child of promise. And we see this beautiful picture of Abraham and Sarah waiting for this promise to be and make a great nation. Do you know how many years it was? It was 25 years later that they had to wait patiently for God to fulfill that promise. 25 years later, Abraham and Sarah were 100 years old when they gave birth to Isaac. And throughout their patience, 
throughout their faithfulness, their obedience to the Lord. Though imperfect, God came through on His promise. He came through on their promise. They believed God. They believed that He would be faithful. And from that, really the whole history, the whole story of salvation is birthed and has even come to pass in greater fulfillment than what Abraham and Sarah could have imagined. And it's still being uh, outworked to, uh, to this day. Abraham and Sarah were pacing 25 years. How are you? How is your patience? Are you a patient person? Could you wait 25 years on a promise from the Lord? Are you in the midst of waiting 25 years for a promise of the Lord? In what areas are you being forced to, to wait on the Lord? Can you wait? Or, 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 or do you tend to get impatient? Do you tend to get restless? Do you tend to try and make and take matters into your own hands and trying to make it come to pass? Go ahead and raise your hand since we're all going to be honest in here. Yeah, we, we all do. We all struggle with this. I'll, I'm going to turn 50 this year. I'm going to eat that 50 burger here in, a, in about a month. Um, and there's two lessons that I've learned that the Lord has taught me over my years walking this earth about patience. One, it's a fruit of the Spirit. Thank the Lord. Amen? Because without the Spirit of God indwelling in me, without the Spirit of God indwelling you and giving us the fruit of the Spirit called patience, we would not probably be a patient people. But more than that, typically, and this is earth shattering. You guys ready? Write this down. This is earth shattering. How, how's the Lord going to, how's the or, how's the Lord going to grow patience in you? You guys ready for this? He's going to grow patience through you. He's going to grow patience in you by waiting. That's it. He's going to grow patience in you by waiting. Isn't that like earth shattering? Go ahead and raise your hand. Earth shattering. No, it's like, yeah. And second, the Lord is always on time and never late. And we really gotta we gotta wrap our minds around this. In His promises, He delivers His promises always on time. He is never late. We can tend to be early in our expectations, right? Because of our impatience, but He is always on time. Again, I ask you the question, are you a patient person? Where's the Lord calling you to wait on the Lord right now? Because when you, if you need wisdom right now, He's going to give you the wisdom exact, exactly when you need it. Are you struggling maybe in some finances or some areas? He's going to provide that need exactly when you need it. Are you waiting for a spouse? Are you waiting for a child? He's going to provide that exactly when you need it. So let's look at Abraham and see and, and be encouraged by, by looking how he waited patiently. Though imperfect, he waited patiently. And we see how the Lord answered that prayer. Well, what motivated Abraham and Sarah to wait patiently? It's the same motivation that can help us in our patience. And that is this, that we know that God keeps His promises. We know that God keeps His promises. And not only does He promise to keep His promises, but He promises on top of His promise to keep His promise to keep His promises. He swears an oath. He swears an oath. And He swears His oath by his, on His own name. 
an oath back in, 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 in Jesus' day and in, in Moses' day, and even maybe just a couple hundred years ago, an oath was one of the most valuable things that you could have uh, as an individual. Today, it's not so much. Back then, an oath, your word is what, you know, what got you through the day. You were constantly using your word to, to, to live, to survive, to get food, to get land, to get a house, to, to have these, you know, what we call contracts to, to make it solidify. This is our own. Today, we don't, we don't have an oath. We live in a contractual society. Everything is done on contracts. I'm sure everyone in here who has a mortgage didn't do it on a, on a handshake and your word, right? No, you filled out a lot of paperwork. We live in a contractual society. There's still some areas in where we give oaths, like if you have to go to court and give your testimony, you swear on a Bible, right? You've got to swear to testify to the whole truth and nothing but the truth. I think when you join the military, you have to give an oath or a police force. Even doctors, you have to give an oath. But, but really, that's not in our culture. But back then, the oath was your life. It was a very valuable tool. It was your word. It was very, very important. And so when the Lord says that He's going to fulfill His purpose in verse 18, it's impossible for God to lie. He seals it with an oath. That just brings the most security and assurance on what God has promised to us to come to pass. But He has promised by His word, and God cannot lie, that He is going to fulfill His promises. If He says He's going to do it, He is going to do it. See, because here's the scary thing. If God could lie, then we could lose our salvation. If God could lie, we wouldn't have that security and assurance in God's Word because we wouldn't know if He's telling the truth or not. But we can have that assurance. We can have that security because it's impossible for God to lie. And the reason why it's impossible for God to lie is because this, His Word goes to His character on who He is. That God is truth and it's impossible for him to lie. He can't lie because he is truth. So let this give you assurance this morning that God cannot lie and that what he says he's going to do, he's going to do. And when he says it, that should be enough. But then when he gives it or undergirds it with an oath, it's even that much more valuable. And the reason why he gives us an oath is again, because we are a people that don't trust others easily. We have insecurities. We need to be reassured over and over again. So knowing this again, he swears an oath by himself. And why by himself? Verse 16 tells us why. Because there's nothing greater than God. And when you make an oath, you make an oath on something, you swear on something that's more valuable than yourself. That is greater than yourself. As verse 16 says, for people swear by something greater than themselves. Something more valuable. That's why, why if, if, if I wanted to undergird a promise uh, to you, I would not swear by my coffee tumbler, right? You would not say like, and I, hey, believe me, trust me, I swear by my coffee tumbler, this is going to come to pass. Right? You wouldn't say that. Because the coffee tumbler is insignificant. It has no value. It has no worth. It is not greater than the promise being made. And so when you swear and you make an oath, you swear by something greater than themselves. And here there's nothing greater than God, so God swears by Himself. And that brings us incredible assurance. Again, the question, are you struggling to believe in God's promises this morning? Let this comfort you. Let this truth comfort you. 
that God not only promises it to you, but He knows your insecurities. He knows my insecurities. He knows we need to be, be reassured. So He says that He does it, swears an oath to you. I love how one puts it. He says, there is no one greater than Him. He stands alone above it all. No one could possibly know more, do more, or be more. There is no one above Him. He is above everything. So He is able to know all possible contingencies. He is able to overcome all obstacles. He is able to see through every promise made to you and to me. And to that we say yes and amen. So we see that we can exercise patience just like Abraham here, waiting for the Lord to come through on His promises because He has made an oath. When He swear to you, He swears this. We say, I promise, so help me God. He says, I promise, so help me, me. We can be assured He's going to come through. Secondly, we see the desire of the Lord to fulfill His promises through Christ. The desire of the Lord to fulfill His promises through Christ, verses 17 through 20. And again, these are some of the most assuring verses in all the Scripture about God, about God fulfilling His promises towards us. Look at verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast the hope set before us. I want you to circle those words in verse 17. So when God desired... Circle those words, God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, to those whom He saved. This is God's desire. This is His passion. This isn't like a secondary issue to Him. This is not something like that's ten steps down on the, on the org chart. This is like first, front, and center. Your salvation. My salvation. This is God's desire. He has a desire, a passion to secure your salvation to secure my salvation, to bring forth His promises. It is His passion. It's on His to-do list at the top, numero uno. And the two unchangeable things that He is passionate, desires to fulfill is His unchangeable character of His promises and purposes to us and His oath, His Word. God's passion to show and to secure His promises for His heirs. That's what He's passionate about. And he will go to extraordinary lengths to make sure that it happens without a shadow of a doubt. And we see the extraordinary lengths he goes through to prove this desire to us and to secure these promises for us is that he sent Jesus to us to be our high priest. To be our high priest. To be our mediator. Look at verse 19. Why we have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the interplace behind the curtain, or the Holy of Holies, where the priest intercedes his people. That's my parentheses. That's where the behind the curtain is. It's the Holy of Holies. Verse 20. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Again, these words we should go back to on a daily, if not a weekly basis, to be assured of what God has promised to us in Christ Jesus. These are some of the most, again, affirming words that we can have, the most assuring words that we can have. These words are good news to your soul and my soul this morning. Your soul and my soul needs a sure and steadfast anchor. Does it not? Since, you know, we'll just say March of 2020 when COVID first came about, became official, the world has not been the same. 
I know each and every one of us, our world, our lives have been turned upside down in so many different ways. We need an anchor in this storm. And that's what verses, these verses are talking about. That anchor is Jesus. Look at here, it says in verse 20, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. As a forerunner. What does a forerunner do? A forerunner is one who goes before His people and paves the way so that we can have access. And Jesus went as the forerunner, as our great high priest, to mediate so that we can now approach the throne of grace with confidence. He, he exercised and gave up the sacrifice of Himself for you and me so that our sin would be dealt with, that, that God's wrath would be appeased by the death of Jesus. And Hebrews 10.19 says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He has opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is good news. This is great news. This is, this is an anchor for your soul this morning. If you struggle with doubt, if you think God is angry with you, the, these are the verses that you run to to see that He is not. In fact, that He loves you. And that you can draw near to Him with a true heart and full assurance because He has sprinkled you clean from your evil conscience. This is an anchor for our souls that Jesus as our high priest has obtained our salvation. And not only has He attained our salvation, but He's attained access to God the Father on the throne. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. It's provided access to the throne of grace. So therefore, we can draw near with full assurance this morning. The question for us this morning is, what is anchoring your soul right now? What anchor is your soul depending on right now? And is it sure and is it steadfast? Is it going to be able to handle the storms? Is it going to keep you fixed? Is it going to keep you secure? Again, I know since March 2020 of COVID-19, many people have been absolutely shipwrecked because of the ineffectiveness of their anchors. Now, they thought they had a good anchor, and this might be you. you. You thought you had a good anchor, and then your whole world got turned upside down. You saw that your anchor was ineffective. Maybe it was your health. Maybe it was your finances. Maybe you thought it was the government. Maybe you thought it was just being a good old American. Nothing's going to touch us here. Those were your anchors. Your souls probably felt some havoc. And this is why the Scripture and this question on what is anchoring your soul is so important. That's why these verses are so important for us this morning because when we're on calm waters, we don't think about what our anchor is, right? We don't think about the anchor. When we start to think about the anchor, it's too late because we're already in the midst of the storm. You see, you and I understand and experience the worth of an anchor and its steadfastness in the storm when it's doing its job, when it's keeping us from crashing into the rocks. 
See, a worthy anchor keeps your position sure. Keeps your position immovable. And again, in my experience, 20 years plus of ministry, dealing with all kinds of situations and, and people, in life in general, living in the Genesis 3 world, but also, again, this last year and a half or so with the pandemic, one thing I can say without a shadow of a doubt, that those whose anchor is in Jesus, their lives are sure and steadfast. Sure, there may have been some, they may have been rocked a little bit by a big wave or, or a big wind here and there, but they have been kept secure. They have not been shipwrecked. And those that, that saw that their hopes and the anchor was in that other than Jesus, their lives have been shipwrecked. The anchors of their soul were exposed. You know people like this. I know people like this. I came across this lyrics from a hymn in my study this week. The hymn is, in times like these you need a Savior. And this is what it says. In times like these you need an anchor. Be very sure. Be very sure. Your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. This rock is Jesus. Yes, He's the one. This rock is Jesus, the only one. Be very sure. Be very sure. Your anchor holds and grips to the solid rock. And we combine these lyrics with Hebrews, we see that Jesus is not only the solid rock, but He is also the anchor. Let me ask you, are you very sure? Are you very sure that the anchor that you are, that you are having your soul anchored in is going to be effective? I hope your anchor is Jesus. To keep your anchor, to keep your soul anchored in Jesus so that you will not drift away. How do you do that? How do you keep your soul anchored in Jesus? Well, the author gives us a great vivid example in verse 18. Look at Hebrews 18, um, 6, verse 18. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, and right here, this is where you should highlight, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We who have fled for refuge. Uh, the, uh, the Jewish Christian reading this book, uh, Hebrews, would immediately have his mind go to the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 35, talking about the cities of refuge. When God gave the land to the nation of Israel, He set up six cities, six cities of refuge, where it says in Numbers 35, these six cities shall be a refuge for the people of Israel and for the stranger and for the sojourner among them, that if anyone kills a person without intent or accidentally, they may flee there and be safe until trial comes. This is where the, the person that accidentally killed someone would flee to one of these cities of refuge and they would be secure and safe from the, the family members that wanted vengeance on them until they could have a, their account in uh, a judicial court. And what the author is saying, just like the sinners in the Old Testament who sought a physical place of protection in these cities of refuge, we have sought a spiritual protection. A spiritual city of protection in Jesus Christ. He is our city of refuge. This is where we run to. This is where our souls run to. We are safe in Him. We run to Christ to escape the dangers from the, the curse and condemnation of the law, from the wrath of God, from an eternity in hell. It's found only in this city 
of refuge found in Christ. Only Christ provokes refuge from these things or provides refuge from these things. It is Him in which our soul runs and must run. And just as these cities were to awe to anyone who fled, the, again, the Jew, the stranger, the, the sojourner, uh, this message, this, this ability to see and have Christ as your anchor is extended to everyone. This city is extended to everyone. The city of refuge found in Christ. And it's found in those inner in this city by repenting of their sins and trusting in what Christ has done for you. And so the question for you this morning as you're listening to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, are you among the ones mentioned? Are you, are you among the ones who sought refuge, who have fled for refuge in Christ? Have you fled to Jesus this morning? Are you in Jesus this morning? Are you in His city of refuge? You see, Jesus is our only hope. It is in Him where we have a strong encouragement to hold fast to this hope, to our salvation. It's only found in Christ. This world is brutal. It's dark. It's scary. It's a place of confusion where nothing is stable, nothing is certain, nothing is secure. In many ways, our culture is built on a, on a house of lies, a house of cards. And that's why these verses are so important for you and for me this morning. Because they are built on the, the stable ground, the stable rock, the foundation of God's character, which is sealed with His oath. And then He sends a mediator on our behalf, the great high priest Jesus, so that we can enter into His rest. These are incredibly important words for us this morning. And so as we, 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 we listen to these words, as we, we just give a quick flyover of Hebrews 6, 13-20, I pray this morning that it would entice you to look to see where your anchor is. What is your life anchored what is holding you down? Have you fled to the city of refuge that's only found in Christ? Jesus is our only hope. And it is in Him we have strong encouragement to hold fast in a Genesis 3 world. So let's hold fast. Let's hold fast this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that You are an anchor to our soul. That You are steadfast and that You are sure. Lord, anyone can have this anchor. This, this anchor is offered to everyone. Jesus is offered to everyone in this room. But to take hold of this anchor, we have to run to the city of refuge. We have to run to You. We have to run to Christ. We have to repent of our sins and trust in Him. And when we do that, You, you welcome us in. You open the gate. You welcome us in to the presence of the holy, the righteous, the gracious and the loving King. And Lord, that is good news this morning. And so again, Lord, as we walk out of these doors, may we know without a shadow of a doubt where our soul is anchored. That it's anchored in the sure and steadfast love, grace, and mercy of the Lord. And His High Priest that oversees our soul, Jesus. In Your name we pray. Amen.